Uh, I know a lot of you are historians of 1990s, early 1990s uh, female R&B, right? A lot of female R&B. So you know all the hits of In Vogue. Everyone know the hits of In Vogue? They had six top 10 hits between 1990 and 1996. Everyone know In Vogue? Who's an In Vogue fan here? Thank you, Rebecca. I'll take one. A couple. There we go. A couple. We'll take them. Well, the song I remember the most was a song entitled Free Your Mind. And, and the start of the, the, the chorus went, free your mind and the rest will follow. Do you understand why it was such a hit after that? Can, does it, does, do you understand why it made it into Billboard's top 10 after that little rendition there? The premise of the song actually was good. They were saying that they were, they were, it was an appeal, a call to, to stop racial profiling, to, to stop assessing people simply by the way we see them as we walk by them on the street. It was a, it was a good intention. But their idea was that, that freeing one's mind is the way to overcome the ills of the earth, the ills of this world. And I want to tell you that the Bible actually teaches something that is contradictory to that. Over the next three Sabbaths, I want to talk to you about a healthy mind. And today we are starting out with the first step that we need to take as believers in having a healthy mind for Jesus. So will you open your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm just going to begin in the very first verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul is here writing to a church. This is a second letter that we have. It's actually a, a third letter at least because he references writing them at another point in time and we don't have that letter, but this is the second letter that we have that, that, Jesus, that, that Paul wrote to this church that was struggling with some sin. And in verse 10, he says, I, Paul, or in verse one of chapter 10, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. The place to start for a healthy mind is embracing what is implicitly said in this text and also what is explicitly stated in this passage. What is stated uh not directly, but is implied, is that we, Paul is calling on this church to give their minds over to Jesus, to, to allow him to take captive, to, to capture their minds according to his will and his truth. In other words, what it's calling us to do is to give permission, permission to Jesus to tell us what it's okay to think and what it's not okay to think, and to tell us what it's okay to believe, and to tell us what it's not okay to believe. This is a permission 
that we have to give the Lord. I'm struck by that concept of permission, which is so beautiful. When you think about, about who God is, in John chapter one and verse three, it tells us that, 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 that Jesus, before he became human on this earth, Jesus made everything and everything that is, is because of Jesus. And, and by that sheer power and that sheer wonder, he has the right, he has the right to say, this is how you should think. This is how you should believe. This is what you should do. And yet, because he's a gentleman, even though he has that right, he does not force himself upon us, but he gives us permission to invite him into our lives, to take our minds and our thoughts captive, to capture us for his cause. Now, we all should understand this concept of this permission aspect of things. We understand it in, in the sense of our capitalistic society. If someone makes something, they have the right to determine what to do with it. If someone creates something, they have creative license to, to determine how it is used. Let's say that tomorrow I file papers to run for president of the United States. And somehow they let me on the ballot. And you've written a song. You've written a song that I think is amazing. And so I, you know, every politician nowadays needs like a good walk-in song. You know, it's at the baseball games, baseball players have walk-in music. You know, basketball teams have walk-in music. Uh, you know, everybody has walk-in music nowadays and now politicians have walk-in music too. And so you've written an awesome song and I say, I'm gonna use that song for my, my introduction music as I do these rallies and campaigns all over the place. But you don't like my uh, political platform. Everybody has to be a 49er fan. Everybody has to be a vegetarian and no coffee. Some of you like the first two and then your face is frowned after that, to that third one. You say, I don't, I don't want my song associated with your political platform. So, so Pastor Chad, cease and desist. And you, because you are the creator of that song, have the right to tell me to do that. And God, as our creator, has a right to tell us what to think, what to believe, how to act. He could even take control and say, don't do this, don't do that. But, but because he's a gentleman, he waits for your permission. And so you have a choice of whether or not you are going to give him that right to your mind. And Paul here is implying through this verse when he says, when he says in verse five, we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. In other words, he's saying every thought is based on what Christ tells us is in obedience to him. It's implying that we give Jesus permission to be in control of our minds. Now, we don't like that word control. We don't like the word surrender very much. We don't like the word obey a whole lot. My brother, Mr. Burrow here, just kind of smiled just a tad when I said we don't like the word obey a lot. We don't always, we don't always love that. But the Bible tells us that, that this is the only way to truly live as humans, to be fully human. In fact, Paul described it like this in Galatians chapter two and verse 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but now the life that I live is Christ living in me. Christ living in me. 
That's a permission that you have to give to God and that you have to turn over to God. Now, now most of us would say, yes, we've done this. Most of us would say, yes, we, we give God permission to have all of our thoughts and all of our minds and all of our actions and all of our, our beliefs. But I think I agree with what Tim Keller uh, stated years ago. He said, we treat Jesus more like a police officer than a true sovereign of our lives. Memorial Day, this just recently in May, our family went down to Arlington National Cemetery uh, uh, just to remember and to appreciate uh, the, the blessings that we have in this nation and the freedoms that we have in this nation. And we were down there. Our family was all down there. Christina's parents were here visiting. And, and so we were down there looking or walking around the cemetery. And there were some other guests that were there. The president of the United States and the first lady and the vice president of the United States and the second gentleman were there. And so at one point, we all were stopped by all these military folk and everything else. And, and we lined up on the roads there in the cemetery to wait for the motorcade to go by and to, to wave hello to the president. And my kids thought this was pretty cool. They'd never seen this before. So they thought this was cool. And we, we stood there. At one point, there was a military, an MP, a military police officer that came up to all of us who were standing there close to the road. And he said, could I ask all of you to take four, uh, to just take four paces back to give a little more room here at the edge of the road. And he was walking down telling everyone, take four paces back. And we all obediently stepped back because we have committed as citizens of the United States, most of us have committed as citizens of the United States to kind of a general social contract that the, that the police officers have certain rights to, to say what we can and can't do in certain structures. Now, if that police officer had said to me, now, sir, I'd like you to take four paces back and I also want you to arrange a marriage between that son of yours and my niece, I would chuckle thinking that this was just some sort of suggestion. But if he said to me, but if that police officer said to me, this isn't a funny laughing matter. If you don't do it, I'm going to give you a ticket. I would tell that police officer, I think you're a little outside of your jurisdiction. You have certain rights. I, I will allow you to tell me to back up four paces. And I believe you have the right to do that. You have the right to give me a ticket if I'm speeding or other things. But, but to define who my kids can marry is outside of your jurisdiction. Some of us treat Jesus more like a police officer than a true sovereign. We say, Jesus, you have authority in my life, but really you only have jurisdiction over these areas, over this box. I know that your word says this, but I don't really agree with that. So I'm going to believe this. I know that your Bible and, and that your spirit convicts me to do that, but that would be going against society in this area. So I'm not really going to do that. But what Paul is telling us here is that, is that if we're believers, if we're followers of Jesus, that we give Jesus permission to take captive, it says, every thought and to destroy all of our opinions and, and, and the things that are counter to God through his power and his spirit. That means that what we think about what we do with our money, 
is the question, Jesus, what do you want me to do with my money? What do you want me to do with my talent? What do you want me to do with my time? What do you want me to do with my, with my brain? What do you want me to do with my sexuality? Where do you want me to, to work? Where do you want me to live? Who do you want me to forgive? Who do you want me to marry? And on and on, that all of these things are, are captive to Christ. Most of us say we agree with this, but we really don't. And that's one of the things I've realized even in my own heart in the last several months. When I got sick at the end of March, the beginning of April, at some point early on, Christina said to me, Chad, don't waste this opportunity. Find out what the Lord wants to teach you in this moment. And as a good husband, as I always do, I listened to my wife and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, teach me. What do you want me to know in this time of struggle? What, what do you want me to know as I'm going through all these doctor's appointments and all these tests after tests with every answer coming back? We don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on. What, what do you want to, to teach me, Lord? And even though my sickness is more about what's going on in my lung, my pulmonary system and my cardio system, what the Lord has been talking to me about is what's in my mental system, my mind, my thinking system. And what I realize is that my mind hasn't been fully healthy because the first area of health is to say to Jesus, you have absolute control. You have absolute jurisdiction of every thought, every belief in my spirit. And so I started to pray, Jesus, teach me what you want me to learn through the sickness. And, and, and the thing is, is when you pray that prayer and you mean it, then, then Jesus begins to answer that prayer. He doesn't force himself because he's a gentleman, but when you give him permission, he will begin to answer that. And Jesus started to answer that prayer in my life. And, 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 and I just wanna give you an example of one area in which which I had this, this conviction. And I'll, 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 I'm setting it up by telling you about another conviction I have. I have a, a traditional biblical conviction on, on marriage. I have a traditional biblical view of marriage. And so I, I, I just have that. And I express that openly to people and I talk about that, that conviction. I say, I say that to set up what came next. Dr. Hazel, Frank Hazel and I record these videos uh, we call biblical perspectives. You can find them all on the Spencerville YouTube page. And we recently recorded uh, our, our, a study through the book of Ephesians. And we came to a part in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter five, verses three through five. And, and I'll read these verses to you. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and of God. And even though Frank and I were talking and recording in that immediate moment, God said to me, Chad, the way you feel about same-sex activity is the same way I feel about some of your foolish and casual talk about things. Immediately, that came right into my mind. That came right into my mind. Now, when we receive an insight like that from the Lord, something that, that God says, this, you say this is wrong, 
that's fine, that could be wrong, but, but you're also doing this. We have a decision to make. The first thing I could say to God is, well, God, it's, it's just a joke. And I never use foul language when I'm saying anything. I don't, I don't get descriptive or, or derogatory. I just, you know, I treat some of these things maybe more casually than I should. I, I let a loose comment here go, especially with some of my old pals from back in the day. I might just say something that's a little more free. But God said to me, you're verbal. Sexual sin is just as wrong as anything that you think is wrong in your brain. When we receive those moments, we can try to rationalize them. We can try to justify them. We can ignore them. But if we're sincere and we've truly allowed Jesus to capture our minds and we truly want him to give us a healthy mind, and to take every thought captive, then when the Lord brings those convictions, whatever they may be for you to mind, maybe right now God's convicting you about what is sin in your life and what isn't sin. Maybe God's convicting you to go and apologize to someone and make something right with someone. Maybe God's convicting you on, on how to use your money. Maybe God's convicting you to stop yelling at your children it's not their fault that you go to bed late and you're so tired. Don't punish them for your bad habits. Maybe God's convicting you to stop watching that movie or maybe God's convicting you. A friend of mine, a pastor of mine told me recently, God convicted him to go to a, back to a flip phone because he said the temptation of too many things and wasting time is too strong. And he said, and I don't want my mind to be clouded with any of that. A flip phone, folks. Young people, a flip phone. It, the reason why they call it a flip phone is because you had to open it up like this and pull up a thing like this and then talk like that. It was, it was insane. No data. And you have to text with your thumbs. You that lock thumb, remember that? He was convicted of that. What, what is God convicting you of? It could be a million different things. And we can do the unhealthy mind thing and say, okay, God, I, now you've stepped into a jurisdiction that not, isn't yours. You're a police officer and you only have jurisdiction of this part. You're not truly my sovereign. So I'm not going to listen to you. But this text tells us something explicitly that, that when we come across those things, we are to do something. Listen to verses five and six. Paul says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised. That means our own pride that's raised against these things. That's not really that bad. That's not really wrong. God, you know what? I don't think you understand how culture has changed. Raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish, the Bible says, every disobedience. Listen to those words, destroy, punish, Take captive. This means that we get rid of anything that is counter Jesus's way. Even if it doesn't make sense to us, even if it doesn't feel good to us, even if it goes against our feelings or, or our attractions or whatever we think is fun, even if it's gonna make us unpopular with a certain part of the world or it's gonna make us even unpopular in our own family. God says we punish it, we destroy it, we take it captive. Now, there's a danger in using that pronoun of we because the temptation, and I want to make sure you hear this, 
the temptation when I, when I use that, especially if we don't look at the whole context, is to think, oh man, God just convicted me something. Now I really have to white knuckle it and be better. Willpower. We always think of willpower. Willpower when we think of these things. But the Bible actually tells us, just in the verses preceding this, what the actual power is. And the Bible tells us it's not willpower, that, that, that these things are punished, these things are destroyed, these things are taken captive by a supernatural divine power. The Bible says that though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. In other words, you are in the flesh, but it's not your job to wage war with what you can do. It's not your job to wage war with your willpower. For the weapons of our war power, of our warfare, verse four, are not of the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. What Paul is saying here is the thing that when you realize something in your mind is, is disobedient to Jesus, disobedient to the word of God, disobedient to your creator, your savior, your master. And you say, man, I've got to get rid of that thing. God says, my supernatural power will punish that. My supernatural power will take that captive. My supernatural power will destroy that. You don't fight in your flesh because guess what? If you fight in your, fight in your flesh, you're going to fail. And Paul even tells us what that other supernatural power is in his first letter that we have to the church in Corinth. In chapter one, beginning in verse 17, here's what Paul wrote. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross, listen to this verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In chapter 10 of, of 2 Corinthians, when, when he says, we fight these things, we punish, we destroy, we take captive those things in our life that are disobedient to God through supernatural power. That supernatural power is the gospel and understanding what Jesus has done for you. Verse 19 says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. In other words, what he's saying there is the wisdom that is according to the world that people think is wise and think is correct. Jesus says the gospel actually destroys all of that. Not you, you don't destroy it. You don't toughen up and fight harder and, and dig in your heels and become angry and, and yell at people who disagree with you. The word of God, the gospel of God destroys it. God is speaking here about the ideas, the thoughts that the world says are right, but God says those aren't in alignment with me. Here's the thing we need to all understand that the cross, that Jesus died on the cross, not just to forgive your sins, but to destroy the sins in your life and to give you victory over sin. A lot of us as Adventists understand that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us our sins. And then we think it's our responsibility to be overcomers, to, to, to have the victory, to fight the battle. But, the, but Paul says the cross is the power of God to destroy the sins in our lives. So here is your action step for this week. 
Here's the action step for this week. Don't go home and listen to In Vogue and free your mind, but rather invite Jesus. Pray this prayer. Jesus, capture my mind. And whatever you show me in my mind that is contrary to you and to your word, then through the power of the cross, I give you permission, Jesus, to punish it, to destroy it, to get rid of it, to overcome it. And watch how your minds heal. As the scripture tells us, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, begins to guard your hearts and your minds. In your power? No. In Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we going, are going through the summer, that, that we will be fully surrendered to you. Lord, I pray that each one of us won't just say, yes, we're surrendered, but truly, Lord, we will give you permission to capture our minds. The world is constantly telling us, be more open-minded, be, be more free-minded. But Lord, your scripture says, take every thought captive and see if it is obedient to you. Lord, the things that are in my mind I pray that you will punish them, that you will destroy them, that you will give me victory through the cross. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us will be surrendered to that mission. And may your peace and may your love guard our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.